Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to 2022. Congratulations, you've made it this far through the pandemic. And we're going to believe God for all that he has for us in our life, regardless of the circumstances that we're facing. We're starting the year off with a week of prayer. Now, from January 10th through 13th, we're going to be gathering in the evenings from 7 to 8, and of course, we'll be live streaming, be able to connect that way. And these are going to be done in, in, in a way that maintains physical distancing, etc. And so we look forward to that. And then what's going to happen is we're going to wrap up uh, on January the 16th with a Sunday evening worship and miracles night. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to us just launching this year off, seeking God. And you know what? Let's just start the year off right. Let's have an outbreak of God's presence in our lives. Let's move forward in our lives with God's purposes for us. And let's, let's believe God for a big year of reaching people for Christ like we've never reached before. And just I just believe we can just excel in the number of baptisms this year. Let's see, you know, family and friends come to Jesus. Let's, let's have lives get turned around and healed. And let's see the kingdom of God advance in our lives and in his church just continuing to make impact. And the best way, really the only way, to prepare for all of this is through prayer. It's about us seeking the Lord. It's a bit of a paradox because we're just so used to being, you know, active with things in our lives and and we're just so comfortable with, you know, okay, I'm going to strategize, I'm going to plan, I'm going to work on it, I'm going to rally people, I'm going to get counsel and and put it all together, I'm going to research, I'm going to take action and but prayer is the action before taking action. Like I heard one guy say, and he said literally this was the title of a book, and and here's what the title was. Don't just stand there, pray something. Well, I think in, in our culture, I would say it this way. Don't just be busy, pray. Don't just be busy, pray. And then after you pray, what you do will be blessed, guided, wise, empowered by the Spirit of God, and not just your own personal desires and ambition. And so as, as we launch this this year, I want to start by just talking about what should motivate us to pray. First of all, I am motivated by the example of Jesus and the encouragement of Scripture. I am motivated by the example of Jesus and the encouragement of Scripture. Just look at Jesus as our example. You know, we're called Christians, therefore we are Christ's followers. Jesus, the Son of God, felt it necessary to have a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of prayer. He would pray all night. He would, the Bible says, often go away and pray. 
He would, prayer, prayer was just like a regular occurrence in Jesus's life. He would be confronting situations in life and he would do it with prayer. When I think of the need to feed the multitudes, what does he do? He, he takes that little bit of food and then he says a prayer, blesses it and, and sees a miracle happen. He prayed before he selected his disciples. He prayed before, you know, going to the cross. In fact, he even prayed while he was on the cross. Jesus saw his life as an extension of his relationship to the Heavenly Father. And Jesus modeled for us the importance of prayer. He prayed before making big decisions. He prayed before seeing big miracles. He prayed as an act of fighting off temptation. He prayed to walk in the will of the Father. And there's nothing about the life of Jesus that makes prayer just like unique to him, like, like, okay, this is just something that, you know, Jesus needed to pray, and, and that's what he did, but that's Jesus. No, no, his prayer life is actually a model for us to learn from and to follow. Our prayer life should not simply be motivated by crisis. You know, even people who have no intention of submitting their lives to God and and uh, really have no interest in following the Lord. But boy, when they get into a crisis, they can suddenly turn into some of the most spiritual people, you know, and where they're like requesting prayer from people and reaching out, and boy, we just need to pray. And, and you know, there's just something inside of people that, that knows in a crisis to cry out to God, that just knows, you know, when things have gotten over my head, this is out of my control it'd be a good time to cry out to God. As one army, army uh, chaplain said, there's no atheists in foxholes. But the truth is that prayer is the option when there are many options. Crisis is when we go, we have no, many, we have no options, we, we just have to pray. But prayer is actually the option when there are many options and it's always the best option to start with. Prayer shouldn't only be a response to things in life. Prayer should actually be how we prepare to lead things in our life. Just think about some of the encouragement that comes from Scripture. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 says, And now about prayer, when you pray. I just love that intro. When you pray. In other words, prayer is not an if. Prayer is a when. In other words, it's intentional. It's like, well, we know this is going to be part of your life. This is how the Scripture is being written. We know this is going to be part of your life. So when you pray, when you pray. Luke chapter 1 and verse 18. Now he was telling them a parable, the speaking of Jesus, to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So here the Scripture is saying, listen, we know you can get discouraged and be discouraged even in prayer, but Jesus is saying, I, I want you to keep praying at all times and don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't, don't get discouraged. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Well, what sort of things should I be praying for? Well, what sort of things make you worry? What sort of things make you stressed? 
make you anxious, make you concerned. God says, don't just worry. Don't just get anxious. Don't just get stressed. Instead, pray. Listen, nothing is too small or insignificant that you can't have a conversation with God about it. Nothing. And we need to talk to God about our family. You can talk to God about your finances, your business, your education, your boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, or maybe need a friend, you know, whatever it is. You talk to God about your life. Talk to God about whatever it is that's bothering you. Talk to God about how your walk with him is going. All these things, just doing life with God is really what prayer is all about. And so you have options. And worry is an option. And that means, but because of prayer, that it doesn't have to be the option that you choose. It doesn't have to be the habit of your life. Prayer makes worry an option. You see, if, if we didn't have prayer, then we would just go to our default. But prayer makes worry an option. The Scripture tells us to pray regarding all kinds of things. And it, and it lists things like pray, about, pray for government, boldness to preach the gospel, the right words to say, uh, pray about being active in evangelism, uh, be, being complete in Christ, having a clarity about your calling, pray for wisdom, for healing, for desires, over temptation, over your prosperity, over your health, over having a healthy soul, over having strength, over being filled with the Holy Spirit, over you know laborers coming into God's harvest and sharing the word, ministering to people. Just look at the diversity of things that God has, you know, has us praying for. And um, it's rather obvious as you see that list that prayer is meant to be a way of life, not just a lifeboat. I'm motivated to pray for another reason. That is this. I'm motivated to pray because God acts on our ask. God acts on our ask. You know, one of the competing thoughts, if you will, regarding prayer is a thought that goes like this. Well, whatever happens is the will of God, and whatever the will of God is will happen. And maybe, maybe even that's a way that you've kind of thought, uh, you know, a little bit in your past. But it's, it's a common thought. But when you translate it, what happens is this. It, it translates into into prayer, and your prayer comes out a little bit like, your thoughts about prayer rather come out like, well, why pray? Because God's just going to do whatever God wants to do anyway. Have you ever thought about that? God's just going to do whatever God wants to do anyway, so, so why pray? Or, or is prayer really that, you know, important? Or the idea that God already knows so it's already a done deal because God already knows. God, God knows what the problems are here on earth. God knows what the problems are in your life. So why, do, why should I pray? I mean, God already knows. Actually, Jesus addressed this. You may be familiar with the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, etc. But look at the verse just before Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8 says this. Do not be like them. He's talking here about, you know, how other people might pray and just use repetition and things like this. He says, don't, don't be like them. Your father 
knows what you need before you ask him. Think about that. Jesus is, is, is clarifying, yes, God knows your needs before you ask him. Jesus does not see the fact that God knows our needs as a reason not to pray, but rather as an encouragement to our prayer life. God knows your needs, and then Jesus goes into it. So this is how you should pray. Right after this verse, he gives us the teaching on how to pray. So God already knows what we need, but he still expects us to ask. He still expects us to pray. It's like he's there watching over us. He knows what our needs are, yet he chooses to work in the context of relationship with us and wants us to ask him to meet those needs in our life. You see, without that, God could move. God could meet your needs. God could, you know, answer the desires of your heart and all the rest of it. But you wouldn't be giving the glory to him because you didn't connect with him relationally and make the ask in prayer. Then in the Lord's Prayer, he asks us to pray for this. He, pray, he asks us to pray that his will be done, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If, if we're to ask for God's will to be done on earth, the assumption there is that not everything that happens on earth is the will of God. Not everything that could happen perhaps in your life is the will of God. That things can happen in our world and things can happen in our personal lives that are not the will of God. That's why Jesus says you need to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, he says this, he told him, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I know that God desires for, as the scripture says, none to perish, but everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. But God wants people to be saved and to accept Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. He wants that to happen. Yet we are still required to pray and ask for laborers. In other words, just because God wants to see, you know, everybody come to know Jesus, he doesn't sort of, def it doesn't default to this assumption that believers are just going to go out and engage in preaching the gospel and, and automatically that's just all going to work out. You know, our lives are not puppets. God is not in heaven pulling the strings on our life and just causing it all to happen regardless of, you know, our own will and engagement and these kinds of things. That, that's not the way the world works. And so God is looking for us to ask. He's looking for us to come to him in prayer. He's looking for us to partner with him, to act out of relationship with him, where we're going to ask God to move, we're going to expect God to move, we're going to do our part, but we're also going to see God do his part. Why? Because we engaged him in prayer. John chapter 14 and verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Let's have a look at this verse a little bit. You know, the Gospel of John was written by John, and he tells us that you're to ask. But not just, not just ask because you want it. He, he puts a context to the ask. He says, you're to ask in my name. 
You're to ask in my name. Think about that phrase, in my name. We still use that phrase today, don't we? We talk about, oh, the ownership for that, that house or the deed on that property is in, you know, this person's name. You know, whose name is your car in? It, it, it has an ownership that's been assigned. So if it's in your name, you know, then guess what? You have ownership of that car and you also have authority over how it gets uh, operated and who gets to drive it and all the rest of it because it's your car. How do we know it's your car? It's in your name. It's in your name. The property that you live in, the house that you own is in your name. You have authority over that house. You have ownership of that house. John says, when, you're to, when you are praying, whatever you ask, in my name. In other words, we're not just asking just out of our own will. We're asking representing the authority and ownership of Jesus. In other words, it is about seeking the will of God in our asking. In our asking, we want what God would want. We would, we would want what his authority and his ownership would want in the situation. And so we do ask, but we ask representing Jesus, who has all authority, as the Bible says, under heaven and earth, and has ownership of our lives as our creator. So we ask in his name. And then the promise is this, I will do. You see, we do the asking, God does the doing. This is the great part about prayer, is as you engage in prayer, you're going to see God do some things on your behalf. You ask, he will do. And then he says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The ultimate goal of prayer is the glory of God. You know, some 60 to 70 years later, John writes again about prayer uh, in, in the book of John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Look at what he says. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. I just love that. I love the part that, I love the fact rather that 60 to 70 years of, of John living out his Christianity and then he, he gets used by God to write this portion of Scripture, and he reiterates something that he wrote a long time ago about prayer, because he's been living in it. He's been watching it going on in his life. He's, he's realizing, I can pray, and when I know I'm engaging in God's will, I see God answer those prayers. Asking is so much a part of how God works in our life that we see it all the time in the ministry of Jesus. Listen, God knows what we need, but Jesus would be face-to-face -face with people whose need was like obvious to everybody, and Jesus would still want them to ask. Look at this, Mark chapter 10, verse 51. He says, in replying to him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, let me give you the context. This guy comes up to Jesus asking for him to have mercy on him. His name is Bartimaeus. He's blind, okay? You have a blind man asking for mercy. Jesus, the miracle worker, is walking through town. So, you know, I mean, the connection's not hard to make. And he's asking for mercy. And then Jesus says to him, 
what do you want me to do for you? And the man who was blind said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now, at first glance, you might think that, you know how we have in our Bibles, like you, you get a written Bible, you're going through it, there's little, little titles that they put over sections of, of you know, parables and whatnot that kind of say, well, this is generally what this parable is about or whatever little titles. I would think that, you know, in your Bible over this particular story should be a, a, something like this. The dumbest question Jesus ever asked somebody. Um, but of course, that's not the title over that part of your Bible. But you would think so because, I mean, asking a blind guy, you're a miracle man. You're, you're Jesus who, you know, raises the dead and causes the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the blind to see. You are a miracle Jesus. A blind guy comes to you and then you ask him, what do you want me to do? But if you were to title this story more accurately, Really what you should title it would be something like this, Jesus looking for faith. Jesus looking for faith. You see, after Jesus says to this man, what do you want me to do? And then he responds and he says, I, I, I want to see again. I, I want you to heal my vision. You know what the scripture says? Jesus said this, your faith has made you well. Why is God looking for our ask? Why is God looking for us to ask in prayer? I'll tell you why. Because whatever it is that we're asking him in prayer reveals the faith of what we're believing that God can do in our lives. And then God operates in accordance to that faith that he has put in our hearts. Number three, I am motivated to pray and thwart the schemes of the devil against me. I am motivated to pray and thwart the schemes of the devil against me. Let's talk for a little bit about the enemy, the devil. Um, first, I want to set the tone for this. I don't fear Satan. I don't believe that the scriptures endorse that kind of attitude. However, they do endorse an attitude of being aware. And the last book of the Bible tells us that one day we will look at him and we will exclaim, is this the guy who troubled the nations? Almost like, you know, the Wizard of Oz. If you saw the movie, The Wizard of Oz, you're hearing this big, loud voice and it's intimidating to Dorothy. But then eventually she gets to this place where she pulls back the curtain and it's this little guy with a megaphone. It's kind of like, that's kind of like what it's going to be like in the end of the age when the devil gets exposed. At any rate, Jesus through his victory in death and resurrection, has established our authority over the enemy in our lives. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, so humble yourselves before God. Now look at this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just straightforward, emphatic. This is the way it is. Here's the relationship you have. You resist him, he flees from you. What the Bible does tell us is that we need to know who he is and what he does. We need to be aware. Jesus said he's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. 
The scripture tells us that he's a liar, that there's no truth in him, that he operates through lies, through deception, through trickery, through setting snares, through, uh, you know, through accusing, and generally working through misleading the thoughts of people. But it is also tells us, the scripture also tells us very clearly that he's our enemy. In other words, he's intentionally against you and against the purposes of God for your life. He is an opponent to God's will in your life. So where does prayer come in in dealing with this enemy? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance petition for all of the saints." Through prayer, you and I can divert, stop, thwart, expose, and avoid the schemes of the enemy against your life. Say, what scheme? What's this thing about a scheme? Well, it's the scheme to keep you from the purpose and the plan of God for your life. That's, That's the intention of the scheme. The scripture tells us that the enemy works to scheme against everything, starting with, first of all, your salvation, then your obedience to God, against your family life, against your marriage, against your joy, against your faith, against your hope, against your relationships, against your uh, willingness to be cooperative with uh, godly authority, against your commitment to a local church, against your destiny, all of these things. He does it all. He schemes against these things. Remember, it's a scheme So it's about tricking you so that you may feel justified even in making wrong choices or having wrong thoughts or wrong attitudes. To you, it's a justified thought. But if it thwarts you from the plan and the purpose of God for your life or for your ministry or for your church, then it's actually a scheme. Now, let's think about some of these schemes. How does it work? Well, think about something like Commitment, for instance. Commitment's an important part of life, and uh, it's an important part of salvation. When you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to uh, receive him into my life as my Lord and Savior. I believe he's God. I believe he died on the cross for the sins of the world, rose again from the grave, offers me an eternal life. I want to make a commitment to Christ. God created me. I have a purpose in life. I want to follow Jesus, discover that purpose, and fulfill the dream that he has for my life. Well, the scheme can simply be a thought that goes, you know, if I get serious about God, then, you know, life's going to stop being fun. You know, God's just going to, you know, take away all the fun, you know, in my life and things are just going to be boring and drab and all, all the rest of it. Well, it's a wrong thought, but the enemy was thinking, and, and you could be thinking that. You could be thinking, man, if I get serious with God, what, what's it going to cost me? What am I going to lose? But the devil is thinking, if I can just convince you not to fully surrender to Jesus and follow him with all of your heart, I can keep you from God's purposes in your life. How about relationships? See, you could think, well, if I forgive, then maybe I'm saying that this offense really wasn't a big deal. 
Well, that's a deception, isn't it? Because just because you forgive, you're not saying something wasn't a big deal. But here's the thing. You're thinking that. The enemy is thinking, if I can convince them to hold on to bitterness, then I can create a relationship breakdown. What about authority? Maybe you could think, you know, I, I don't know if I can trust leaders and, and I, I don't know if I'm really being treated the way that I should be. And, and maybe you've, you know, picked up some offense about something like this or, or feel like, oh, I should be more acknowledged. I should have more credit given to me, more attention given to me. It, you know, well, there's wrong thinking right there when me is the word that keeps coming up. But anyway, you might have some offense that's there. Maybe even you've had a leader in the past that had done something wrong, it had hurt you, uh, you know, it had wounded you, and so now you have a, an, an attitude that starts with mistrust. That's what's going through your thinking, but the enemy's thinking, I'm just going to give them cause to withdraw, to leave, uh, to not really commit and be a part of a team and to function the way that they should. You know, offense is a trap, and um, you can be thinking to your life about your life, well, this is how I should walk. But the enemy has set a pit under the branches beneath your feet to fall into. That's what offense is like. And, you know, you can be thinking thoughts that are simple thoughts, but, but they're, they're deception. You know, single people can think, well, you know, I, I, I really, I know the scripture talks about me you know, connecting with somebody else of a like mind, like heart, like faith that wants to serve God the way. But I'll just go on this one date. It won't be any real big deal. But you know, the enemy has a thought towards that. And that is, if I can just get you connected with your life to the wrong guy or the wrong gal, I'll keep you from God's purposes for your life. Even in the world of church, you can think, you know what, uh, I just have a bigger vision for my life than the local church. Well, that's a crazy thought because Jesus' vision is I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So obviously Jesus has the bigger vision. But the devil is thinking, though you're thinking that, I'll just disconnect him from his place where his purpose can get fulfilled and keep Jesus' vision held at bay because of deception in believers. And we need to examine the fruit and the results of our thinking. You say, how do I know there's a scheme of the enemy at work in my life? Well, consider your thoughts about different areas of life, but then look at the results. Look at where your thinking is leading to you, is leading you, and, and look, look, at, look at the fruit of the choices that are coming out of your life, because when you look at the fruit, it always, it always, always, always reveals the root. And if you look at the fruit of some things going on in your life, you can tell, are, are my thoughts rooted in the word of God? Or are my thoughts rooted in a scheme of the enemy that has misled me and deceived me in the way that I think about this area of my life? Look at the fruit. That'll tell you what your thoughts are rooted in. Here's the fourth motivation that I wanted to talk to you about. That is this. I'm motivated to pray because of my desire to have a close relationship with Jesus. Philip Yancey said this, though my needs may drive me to prayer, there I come face to face with my greatest need, an encounter with God's own self. What a great quote. What a great quote. 
That comes from his book on prayer. Maybe this is your understanding of prayer. Maybe for you, prayer is kind of like, well, we just went through the Christmas season. Maybe, maybe for you, prayer is Santa Claus. Maybe that's it. You know, when Santa's in the chair and you go and sit on his lap, I hope you're still not doing that. But if you were, um, you know, you wouldn't have a conversation about how things are going, uh, you know, and what's going on in your world. It'd just be like, here's what I want for Christmas. I want this, I want this, I want this. And uh, here's my request list. That'd be kind of, but, but that's not what prayer is. That's not what prayer is supposed to be about. When we consider what prayer really is, it's not a one-way conversation. It's not a monologue. It's not a Christmas wish list. It's about getting into the presence of God, turning, tuning off the distractions of the world around you, including technology, pouring out your heart in that place of God's presence so that you're not just telling God what's on your heart, but you're listening to what the Holy Spirit might be speaking back into your thoughts and into your heart. You're listening to what Jesus might show you in that moment about your life, about your future, about your family, about, about the challenge that you're facing right now in your life. You know, one thought, one thought from God in the midst of a prayer can be like a volumes of conversation because of the amount of wisdom, because the Holy Spirit can just, can literally say volumes to you, and all it has to speak is a thought a word, maybe just a few, just some, and it just connects into your heart and you're like, now I know exactly what God wants me to do. I know what the answer is. Why? Because you just listen to the Holy Spirit when you got into that place of prayer. Now you might not hear like, you know, an audible voice and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. But what I'm saying to you is this, Holy Spirit can flash a thought through your heart that is the absolute answer for your life. It is the wisdom. It is the direction. It is the solution. It is the next step. It is what will advance you. And, and in order for that to happen, you just need to be at that place where you've turned off the busyness, you've tuned into the Lord in prayer, and given yourself opportunity to hear what the Holy Spirit would speak to you. One word spoken by the Holy Spirit can mean absolute volumes to your whole life. Paul said this, that he wanted to know God. Philippians chapter three and verse eight, yes, everything else he says is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may have Christ. Listen, my greatest gain, your greatest gain in prayer is getting to know him. I need to pray so that I can know him. I need to know him so that I can follow him. I need to know him so that I can be like him. Well, I want to invite you again. Join us as we launch this, this time of prayer, this week that we're going to take here in January. Let that launch you. I, I know and I believe that there's going to be a lot more praying going on in your life uh, throughout the year. It's not like we take this week and pray and all our praying is done. No, this is just something extra, something special uh, that we get to do corporately together. And of course, during that week, uh, you know, there's lots of time for you to have in individual time of reading God's word and praying and seeking the Lord and maybe journaling some thoughts down for the year and things of that nature. But I, I just want to 
wrap up today by praying for your year. And I'm just believing that, you know what? God's going to have his way. His will be done. His kingdom come in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody who's listening to this message. And Lord, we just know that prayer is just absolutely vital to our walk with, with you. It was vital to Jesus when he was on the face of the earth. It's vital to us now. And Lord, I, I thank you that when we pray, you hear our prayer and you answer. I pray for each and every person, Lord, listening to this, your kingdom come, your will be done in 2022. That, Father, regardless of circumstances and chaos and, and confusion and, and all the rest of what we see going on in the world around us, Holy Spirit, I thank you you're with us. God, I thank you your presence is going to go before us, making a way for us. Lord, I thank you you still want to use us to be a witness for Jesus. You are still changing lives, bringing salvation to people, healing, miracles, taking lives that are broken and making them whole again. God, I believe this could be the greatest year of breakthrough for our church, greatest year of reaching people for Christ, greatest miracles yet this year. Lord, I pray that it would be the greatest year yet in walking with God for each and every member of our congregation, for each and every person listening to this audio or watching this video, however you're receiving this message. Jesus, I thank you for great things happening in our lives as we continue to walk with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.